Hey, Anna. It's been more than 50 years since humans drove a car on the moon. <laughs> and I know you're a pretty good driver, as drivers go. Uh, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Would you like to drive a car on the moon? A lunar rover? Let me say I would do it expertly. Mm -hmm. Um Wanting to do it, I actually think it'd be really fun. It looks like a big dune buggy. It is. Sort of, right? Yeah, I yeah. Could, I could do that. Yeah, you, uh, the only problem is the yeah the lunar rovers had a top speed of about 11 miles an hour. Can you, oh, can you keep it under 11? I can barely have like a four-cylinder in my Subaru. I'm like, let's do this. Let's. I, I like I like power. You like power? I mean, mm. what might, do you think? Might not be the right car for you. <laughs> I'll be like putting along and loading. That's right. Come on. Yeah. I mean, the 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 downside is if you don't want to go too fast, because you know there's a lot of potholes on the That's moon. Right. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Terrible. A lot of, lot of craters. Terrible. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah. So, that that'd be... I don't know how well I would do. I'm driving that slow. I'm a... Uh, you had that Prius. It doesn't go much faster, does That's it? That's true. Good I mean, point. <laughs> People so, are passing. Sorry. Me. Is it not... Yeah, it's <laughs> it's. I should say. I'm like, you know, grandparents are passing me. Move it, you <laughs> cyclists are like, come yeah. on, dude, really? <laughs> That's right. I'm going for efficiency. <laughs> it's efficiency, but you're enjoying your ride. Yeah, but I think it's so fun to think of like this is like an electric car that they made in 1971, and amazing. And these cars are still up there. We have three rovers that you know they left them up there, so they're <laughs> ready. Rude. They're ready for us to roll on them. Let's go. All right. <laughs> we can have a, a race, the, sl the slattest, slowest race in history. <laughs> That's right. Apollo 15 <laughs> versus 16 versus 17 <laughs> rover race. Go. <laughs> From the studios of Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regas, and this is Looking Up. And I'm Anna Heeman. Dean and I work at the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory. Dean's the astronomer, so he's the expert, but we both love sharing the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year. And now we're doing the same thing through this podcast. We love talking to astronauts, scientists, authors, and other colorful characters about topics like astronomy and space science. Today we're talking to author of Across the Airless Wilds, The Lunar Rover, and the Triumph of the Final Moon Landings, Earl Swift. Okay, so we get to the moon, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we get there. We're going to drive around. Um, what else could we do? <laughs> like, I get bored. <laughs> so what are we going to do after we drive around and I smoke you in this race we're going to have? Oh, yeah. And the race, yeah. You would Just totally saying. beat me in a, in a lunar rover race. Really so good driver. True. I mean, you put the pedal to the metal and, yeah, that, that – uh, yeah, I would put it on the metal, which would be like all 11 miles an hour. Would be, right. Is that what it was? Yeah. By the way, yeah, I, I drove a golf cart the other day for one of the first times ever. Really? And I'm like, pedal to the metal. And this thing, I'm like, it even had like a chip in it that slowed it down on downhills. And I was like, oh, it was. Anyway. Oh, and you're like, I just I'm, I want to feel the wind in my hair. On the, I got the on need this, for speed. That's what I was saying. This golf cart. I know. Oh, man. So anyway, yeah. So it it's like that, basically. Yeah. You're probably right it probably wouldn't be the most exciting <laughs> lunar oh, race man. but but the, the i think the, the question i mean these kind of get you know swept under the rug i mean the right. neil armstrong buzz aldrin first steps on the moon apollo 11 gets all the press mm -hmm. i mean they were the first and all that <laughs> and i mean unbelievable achievement i mean it's it, they were on the moon for less than a day mm -hmm. because basically the nasa was like okay whew, we made it <laughs> 
Ooh, now come back. That was close. Okay, guys, bring it on home. And <laughs> and poor Neil and Buzz. I mean, they probably would have like loved to stay for a long time. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I've been training all my lives, and now right, twenty one hours on the moon. Thanks a lot, NASA. Yeah, let me look around. Let me let me see what's up here. But they also could have been like, we made it. All right, let's get back home. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's hard to tell what they. I think they would have stayed, but probably. So you're already there. I know. Why not? The I mean, hardest thing is getting somewhere for me, anyway. That's true. I like to cancel plans and whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the moon. I'm right. Uh huh. Exactly. You get there. You want to stay. So the later missions, Apollo 12 and then Apollo 14, were mm-hmm. two landing missions, and th- those were the, s- the similar kind of things that their astronauts pop out of the the, the <laughs> spacecrafts. They right. have their suits on. They bound across the moon, and it's you know this. Uh, so the the lunar surface it, it seems really fun. Like yeah. have you seen the videos of them just hopping and bunny hopping and yes, gra- it looks so fun. I mean, the gravity is one sixth on the moon. So I mean, just imagine that lightness if you were walking on Earth with one sixth mm. gravity. I mean, like there'd be no stopping you. But what? <laughs> that's right. Because right now there's a lot of things stopping me actually. <laughs> but if you're like, I mean, what if you? That's the only thing about the rovers that does concern me. If I can just, um, what about if you <laughs> start going really fast and you're going up a mountain or you're going up a hill, you hit a crater and you just like bounce right off that thing? I mean, is that a, there's that, that's not, that's silly. It wouldn't happen on the moon. Like okay. if you, the moon's gravity is at least intense enough to hold you on there. So yeah, I mean. At a sixth of Earth? The astronauts okay. did, one of the astronauts, and I can't remember which one, that was one of the rover drivers. So the, the last missions were mm-hmm. Apollo 15, 16, and 17. Each one of those had a rover. And uh, one of the drivers said that was the scariest part of the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. launching a big rocket. Eh, no big deal. Whatever. Landing, no big deal. Then getting in this car that seems like out of control, driving down mm-hmm. hills, hitting a, hitting a crater, doing a little ramp, a little rooster tail of uh, stuff kicking out in the back. Um, mm-hmm. He thought it was kind of a thrill because you got these like – cumbersome suits that yeah. you're trying to drive with and like you can barely even put your hands together you to like drive. a giant steering wheel yeah. you're, like, a, like a ship's wheel or yeah. something like something i can't do this big and um and then imagine you're the passenger like <laughs> oh man i mean i'm a terrible passenger in a car uh, it's not really bad in a rover i would do bad as a passenger in a rover too <laughs> like, i mean i'd be just like uh, i'd be pushing them out of the way i'm driving <laughs> like pedal to the metal did they all get <laughs> The person's like, please, God, no. You're like, golf cart, golf cart. Um, so did they all get to drive or did they just pick somebody like that, that Ooh, drove? You know, that's a I good question. Like, I wonder if they did. I mean, because there's always this hierarchy in, yeah. in these missions, you know, like, like who goes out first? Who goes out yeah. first? Who's the driver? Right. I'm just I mean, wondering. Hmm. Ah, that's a good question. You'd I think wanna, they'd all want to. I would think everybody would want to ch- check that out. And, yeah. uh, but I would think maybe it fell to the commander and then the commander said, oh, yeah. you drive a little bit. Jeeves, I don't know what is. He, I don't know what are they? Didn't take his butler. Well, I've, yeah. I, well, so that know. is a good. Hmm, mm, look a, at me asking asking the tough questions. Yeah. Asking. I'm just curious if they would all want. I mean, if I'm going to the moon, first of all, I would have. Well, whatever. The first moon landing, I'm Buzz. Whatever. I say, Neil, let's hold hands. Let's jump out together. We I, I, singularly were nothing, but together we we can do this big leap. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But let's say. You know, you get to the moon, you want to be the first or you want to do everything that you can do. Why wouldn't you be like, okay, my turn. I'm going to drive it now. I I think so. I mean, once in a lifetime, drive a car on Mars. (laughs) Drive a car on the moon. Of course. 
Um, but yeah, that, uh, that there, there might be something to the buzz Neil rivalry. I mean, there's this kind of, uh, underpinning of who was going to jump out first yeah. and all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, somebody's got to do it. I, I, I appreciate the sentiment of you wanting Neil and buzz to I both jump nice. out hand in hand. <laughs> and... I don't like, I don't like controversy. I don't like, yeah, let's just make it so they can both jump out together. That's right. They land, maybe they hug. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's too much. Whatever. It's just a thought. Yeah, it's, I it's can see. I can see these Air Force guys really getting into <laughs> getting this. Getting in for a really big <laughs> Buzz, Buzz would be like, "Get your hands <laughs> off me!" <laughs> he seems like he's hilarious. By I, the way, uh, anyway. Yeah. But um, I think it's very fun. I think it's unfortunate we just left them, and then we're like, "Okay, you guys hang out here for the next fifty years." Yeah, I mean the we rovers are there. They they made space. Uh, you know, they they left them there because they wanted to bring more moon rocks back. So all the weight of this <laughs> left. Rover is like, well, we let's bring some more moon rocks back, and okay, we don't need a rover that we made on Earth. <laughs> we, we want rocks we can't get on Earth, and so they are still there and uh, ready for us for the uh, the big race. That's for sure. <laughs> I can't wait. Like, I'm, it's gonna be amazing. Oh man, this is gonna be televised. It's gonna be. <laughs> Well, 11 miles an hour could be... People are going to be like, oh, it must be a delay. (laughs) (laughs) Must be the feed is bad. Yep, that's it. We're not just going 11 miles an hour. Buffering, buffering. I'm like, knock into you and like mess you up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Knock into and then... You're like bounding off the moon. Like, oh, man, I overdid it. He's uh, the crater. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out. So a few years ago, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of humans stepping foot on the moon. And this month, we're celebrating another big 50th anniversary, Driving on the Moon. Joining us to discuss his book, Across the Airless Wilds, The Lunar Rover and the Triumph of the Final Moon Landings, is Earl Swift. Earl, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Now, I know in in the 21st century, the Mars rovers are getting all the press, but you know, it's so cool to look back at these lunar rovers from 50 years ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about these rovers. You know, how big were they? How fast did they go? How did we even get them there in the first place? Well, they, you know, there were there were three rovers. Uh, they were carried aboard the last three Apollo missions. We sent manned crews to the moon six times that actually landed. The first three were on foot. The final three were were on wheels. And they were very different missions for the presence of the lunar rover. It was a, a tiny featherweight uh, aluminum go-kart, battery-powered, uh, a total of one horsepower of, uh, of motive brawn. And, uh, and despite that dribble of power, it, uh, it was able to carry more than twice its own weight to muscle its way up steep mountainsides, hundreds of feet up steep mountainsides, and to carry the the astronauts of those three final missions over fifty six miles of extremely rugged terrain, so it was a, it was a very capable little four by four. It folded like a business letter, and then folded again to to origami itself into a, uh, a wedge shaped hole in the bottom half of the lunar module. A little tiny space about the size of the way back on a station wagon of the day, and uh, it. Uh, enabled the astronauts to go places and to go farther than they they could have imagined going without it. Uh, it 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 made the missions and in fact it so dramatically changed those last three missions that you could argue and I do in the book that uh, all of the US space program 
going all the way back to Alan Shepard's first Mercury flight in 1961. All of it was preparation for those last three missions. That's where we finally got good at it. Oh, wow. Well, you definitely did a great job outlining some of the definite pluses of bringing up basically a car to the moon and to drive it on the moon. Um, can you tell us like maybe some and maybe some more of the advantages, but also some, maybe some of the disadvantages or the difficulties about bringing a car to zoom around the moon? Well, it, you know, at first glance, it may seem a bit of a gimmick. I mean, here we are, the most automotive people on the planet. And <laughs> sure, yeah, we send a car into space. Of course we would. But <laughs> but in fact, it uh, there was nothing gimmicky about it. I mean, it was less a car than a spacecraft on wheels, which is oh. the way NASA preferred to look at it. And if you look at, you go back to the first moon landing on Apollo 11, July of 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped out of their lunar module, the Eagle, and they, all of their travels during their visit to the Sea of Tranquility would fit into a football field, and there would be a lot of yardage left over. The farthest either man ventured from their lander was 65 yards. Okay. So bear that in mind. Jump ahead two years to the first mission with the rover, Apollo 15, which landed 50 years ago this week. Dave Scott and Jim Irwin climb out of their lunar module. They step into their rover, which is essentially a 1969 General Motors product, <laughs> and they, they drive 17 miles. They command an area of the si half the size of Manhattan. They, they climb up the side of a mountain to, that's as big as Kilimanjaro. They oh collect... Uh, they collect geological samples from the edge of a, a canyon that's a mile wide and a thousand feet deep and they crisscross a, an undulating plain ominously named the marsh of decay collecting dozens of more samples they wind up you know uh, collecting something like 170 pounds of lunar samples on that trip oh wow and um it uh you know none of which would have been possible and not only that but they carried us along with them wherever they went because mounted on the nose of the rover was a TV camera that was remotely controlled from mission control in Houston. And so the, they'd pull up to a scientific stop and uh, get, get busy doing science, you know, collecting samples and whatnot, digging trenches, analyzing uh, the soil and Ed Fendel, an engineer at Mission Control, would steer the camera over to follow them, could zoom in and out. Uh, so we went along on the rides, and, and that was something that had never happened before. But the big, you know, the big advantage is it, it brought range, mm -hmm. because moving around in a spacesuit on foot was very difficult. It looked like a lot of fun when you see the, the old grainy footage of the astronauts bunny hopping around and whatnot. But <laughs> what looked like fun was really uh, it required great effort. They were in a, a suit that was 21 layers thick. It, it was akin to wearing a dozen raincoats, one over the other, and then having that heavy, unyielding garment pump full of air to the stiffness of an all-season radial. So not only was it hard to walk, you, just to bend your arm took real muscle. And all that effort translated into a higher metabolic rate for the astronauts, and that in turn led them to consume the air and the cooling water in their backpacks at a, at a faster clip. So not only were they limited just by the sheer effort required to move from point A to point B, but they were limited by the amount of time they had in which to do it. Uh, you know, that effort ate into their time. And so the rover 
really solved a lot of problems at once. It gave them legs to go miles, you know, to, to explore in miles instead of minutes. And it gave them uh, a lot more time in which to conduct science. And so you see the missions change with the rover's arrival from development missions in which they're testing gear and procedures and making, well, you know, doing a little science, but in general, they're, they're, they're testing stuff. And then with Apollo 15, you see them, the testing's done and they're there to explore and to do science. And, and those three missions are the fulfillment, therefore, of, of all that has come before. You know, they fulfill the promise of those earlier ventures into space. Now, I've heard a rumor, and I think you might be the one to, to, to say this is true or false, but the rumor is that if you were to fly up to a rover, because all three rovers are still there on the surface, correct? Correct. So if you were to fly up there with the appropriate battery uh, or to recharge the battery that is there, <laughs> that uh, a visitor could actually drive it, that they would be in drivable condition with a little bit of power. Is that wow. true or false? And am I, should I check my sources on this one? <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly a, uh, a subject of debate, but the fact is that we don't know. We have no way of knowing because it, Okay, you know, it, there's very little in the way of mechanics to the rover. I mean, it was a very simple vehicle. You take a car and you reduce it to its indivisible minimum, and that's what you, that's what you get. You get what we sent to the moon. But, uh, it, you know, so it's, it, there aren't a lot of things to go wrong, but the moon presents some really uh, hostile uh, circumstances for any piece of machinery you've got a 500 degree temperature swing between lunar sunshine and lunar shadow and uh and that can lead to what's called cold welding where metal parts just bind and technically they could be jostled loose i guess forced to move again but you're going to see some cold welding probably in the moving parts and then you've got a constant bombardment of cosmic radiation and micrometeorites and the latter are you know little grains of sand in size but they're moving faster than bullets so they're going to leave a mark when they hit and so we really don't know what kind of effect all of that you know 50 years of exposure to all of the above has had on the aluminum frame this was a, a vehicle that was so gossamer in its construction that it, it could only function in the one-sixth gravity of the moon so when it was brand new if an astronaut were to step onto it on Earth, he'd break it in half. He'd go right through the floorboard. Oh, wow. Jeez. And so you're, so you're talking about something that's, you know, it's sturdy, but it's sturdy with an asterisk attached to it. It's a, you know, it's so a long answer to a short question. Maybe, maybe a new mm. battery would be enough. But, you know, maybe not. Maybe it needs AAA. Maybe it needs something else. <laughs> yeah, maybe we yeah. get nine volts just in case. <laughs> um, so speaking of going back and, and flying back to the moon, it's been almost 50 years since anybody went to the moon. Do you, Earl, think that we should, like, take a trip back up there and see what's going on? Visit the rovers, check on them. I mean, do you think that there's more to, more to see and that we should spend a little more time up, up on the moon? Oh, well, there's a lot more to see. We just scratched the surface. You know, you got to got to remember the the Apollo missions just 
visited a pretty narrow bandwidth of the, the central latitudes of the lunar surface. The poles are completely untouched. We haven't done any exploring oh, there. Now, yeah. we, will send, we will send a rover, uh, at least we're scheduled to send a rover Ooh. to the lunar south pole in 2023. And it's going there to look for water. It's, I mean, we know oh. that there's ice on the moon in, uh-huh. in that south pole region. Uh, what this rover, it's called the Viper rover, and what it will do is explore the pole uh, to get an idea of whether there's a lot of ice and whether it can be easily mined. And if it can, that lays the groundwork possibly for uh, lengthier lunar stays in the future because you don't have to carry water at eight, you know, eight pounds a gallon off the lunar surface and into space. Uh, it just makes uh, a colony or or just a, a a longer stay more practical if you can tap into the water that's already there. Uh, you could also use it to make fuel. You, you can do a lot of stuff with with water on the surface. So that's that's coming. So yeah, you know, I mean, the, the the beauty of the moon is it's it's fairly close by. If you can think of a quarter million miles as close, and it's uh, it, it's therefore a good place to practice for the more ambitious planetary missions that might come down the pike later on. We can work out procedures and and just kind of plan for uh, contingencies in a much more convenient place than say Mars. Well, it's definitely an exciting time to be looking back and thinking about the future, and your book's a great read on this. Uh, Thanks so much, Earl, for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun talking. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Our thanks to Earl Swift for joining us today. For more information about his book and where you can find it and pick up a copy, visit wvxu.org slash looking up. Okay. So, all right. So we're going to um, ask a question again about the moon. We've got a theme going. Um, so what is the difference? And we're talking about the moon how what what parts we know about? There's a dark side, and then like we have the far side of the moon. What is the difference? Wouldn't dark be far? Oh, and far uh, it would be dark. Is this like an SAT question? This is a super common question, and um, you know this is one of those things that uh, come from a uh, band who will not be named on air oh, because right. their uh, album has forever made astronomy difficult uh, because of oh, so they the far side of the moon oh. uh, is definitely different from the dark side of the moon. And this is something oh. people think, well, all right, far side's always dark. Now, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But the, no, the far side is not necessarily dark and the dark side's not necessarily far. Uh. There, so uh, the way we do this is, uh, so when you look at the moon, one side of the moon faces us all the time. So that man in the moon, that uh, oh, when you yeah. see a full moon, it always looks pretty much the same. And that's what's called the near side. So the other side that mm-hmm. we never see, on the other side, that's called the far side. And it doesn't so the, like rotate or anything? Uh, it does. So it's uh. rotating on its axis at the same speed that it goes around the Earth. So oh. it's always facing So we're us. like never getting a chance. To we like will say. never see that far side from Earth. And so we didn't even know what the far side looked like until 1959. So it was, mm-hmm. there's no way we could see it until uh, the Soviet Union sent a spacecraft around, took oh. some pictures, named all the stuff first before we could, and then came back. So that is the far side, but that's not the dark side. 
The dark side is the constantly changing dark surface of the moon. So if you think the moon is, it's like a half moon. So half of it's lit up. Right. The right half's light, the left half's dark. Okay. That's the dark side of the moon, when it's dark. But it's always changing as the moon phases change from day to day. One side gets more light. Oh. The other side gets more like, dark. I was like, you're saying the same thing. No. So the, <laughs> I was yeah. like, that's the far side is dark, Dean. No, because <laughs> when, when there's a new moon here from us, from Earth, when we look up and there's a new moon, right. the far side is all lit up. So okay. if you could somehow see the far side, it would be a full moon for you. Okay. Okay. No, this is totally it's confusing. getting like really confusing. It's very deep. It um, is deep. It is deep. And that's why that album has caused nothing but trouble. For us astronomers. You know, I'm sure they're sorry. I know. I mean, they do a good laser show with that usually. <laughs> that's that's the one plus. Okay, so they're trying to make up for good the laser, cool laser shows. show. Yeah, planetarium people. That's, they, they made some money off of that over in the <laughs> 90s and 80s and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's what's the big difference in the two. Far side's always far. Dark side's always changing. And uh, But it is weird to think that we will never see that other side uh, the far side of the moon. It's always it's out there. It's always just a mystery. I know. <laughs> well, we got pictures now. I mean, oh, yeah. So we we know what it looks that. like. So we've, we did see it. Yeah, we've seen it. We have a whole it, globe like... of it. We mapped it out. Uh, 24 <laughs> humans have seen the far side of the moon. Uh, eight Apollo missions that oh, went okay. around the moon. So like, yeah. So they were, but yeah, that's it. That's wow. one, of the, one of the elite company. Only 24 humans have actually seen the far side of the moon. Pretty exciting. That's it for this episode of Looking Up. Thanks again to Earl Swift for joining us today. Make sure you also subscribe to this podcast, Looking Up, wherever you get your audio. And if you're an Apple podcast user, we'd really appreciate a rating and comment. That helps others to find us. Do you have any topic or guest ideas for us? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook or Twitter or drop us a note at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y, that's W-H-Y question mark, from their album Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terrorbird Media. Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. We're produced by Josh Elstro and Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.